0: You know, for somebody to reach the top, there have to be others at the bottom and there are men at the bottom. God doesn't work by patriarchy's rules.
1: I'm William. I'm Dave. Dave is my pastor. Willie is a hospice chaplain. And we've been friends for more than 20 years. We've had thousands of conversations about things that matter and things that don't. So now we're inviting you to join in. Each week we pull a topic out of the hopper and talk
2: about it. This is the hopper podcast. The hopper podcast is not professional advice. Just two guys spitballing. So do your own research. Hey, Hopper Podcast, Hoppers, William Sofield here. Have we got a treat for you today. We had a chance to sit down with Carolyn Custis James. She is a biblical scholar and the author of many books focusing on gender and Christianity. She recently updated her book Maelstrom, which is a groundbreaking book on manhood and patriarchy in the Bible. Carolyn is provocative, honest, and groundbreaking in her research and commentary. If you've been a part of the gender role debates in American Christianity that's been going on for the last 50 or 100 years you're going to be surprised to learn she's not interested in those debates at all. As I see it, egalitarians and complementarians have been fighting over how men and women are supposed to relate to each other, and that's important, of course. But Carolyn reminds us that the Bible's emphasis for both men and women is not primarily how to relate to each other, but rather how each of us is to relate to God. That is, the main gender question for me is not how do I, as a man, relate to women, but rather, how do I, as a man, relate to God? Her book, Maelstrom, has been so helpful to me to understand the patriarchy of the Bible and of our culture today that I wanted all of you to hear from her. So,
0: Well, it was a surprise to me, <laughs> you know, because I wasn't expecting to for it to take me where it did. But most of my right. books have taken me somewhere I didn't expect.
2: Right. Sure, sure. And this one, uh, yeah, has gotten... Uh, quite a bit. Anyway, okay. So, uh, we're, yeah. we're not Hello, very welcome.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the Hopper Podcast. It, it's in an attic, and uh, we're we're so glad to uh, to be interviewing you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Well, first, I want to know what why you call it Hopper.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so when we were in seminary together twenty some years ago, uh, where? We're in uh, Covenant, in St. I- Louis. Uh, okay. So William helped move me in when I was a student. I came in the wintertime um, and it was snowing and it, yeah, was, it yeah. was, yeah. So then he invited us to dinner and he started having a dinner every week or so um, and invited seminary students and we would eat and discuss theology and topics. And we would often say, now, hold on, that's getting off topic. Let's throw that in the hopper and we'll get back to it. And so here 20 years later, as we're having these sorts of recorded conversations, we decided to call it the hopper podcast because we're we're pulling topics (laughs) out of the hopper and talking about them. So
2: we have thousands and thousands of topics in the hopper. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I
0: bet. Yeah. So, you know, before Maelstrom, there were (laughs) a few other books that Mm. really rocked my world. And, um, got me into a lot of good trouble
1: oh yeah
2: (laughs) yeah so, so so name those books what books are you talking about
0: um the first one that i wrote was about the importance of theology for women and it was called it is called when life and beliefs collide yeah and i was i was um Reacting to what a seminary professor said to me that there've never been any great women theologians, and in that book I argued that the first great New Testament theologian was a woman, and I trace the life of uh, one of Jesus' rabbinical students, Mary of Bethany, <laughs> and how she sat at his feet and he defended her and said, "This is this is the most important thing." Yeah. And then she goes through this horrible struggle and Jesus doesn't come in time to save her brother's life. And Jesus takes her to new depths in her trust in him. Yeah. So that when he's facing his crisis, she's the one who comes forward and embraces his mission and anoints him, he says, for his burial, (laughs) which if she didn't understand Something of what God had, you know, put on his shoulders. You know, it was was a horrible act of unbelief that she would concede to his, you know, being killed. But he said, She has done a beautiful thing to me.
2: Mm -hmm. And at that point, his male, Jesus' male disciples had no idea what about the death, right? It was uh, about Jesus was going to die, but she understood that.
0: Yeah. I mean, she she learned in her brother's death that that you could trust Jesus no matter what,
2: mm.
0: and in the blackest moments, and that um, that was the safest thing to do is to trust Him, and she did, and um, and he he equated her actions with the gospel. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that was that was my first book, and it was a battle to get it published because um, publishers just said women won't read that kind of book, and I said, you know, we're we're already reading books about theology. We're reading Jerry Bridges and J.I. Packer and you know R.C. Sproul, and but they don't talk to us. Yeah, and you know, so we're sort of listening in. Uh, and the illustrations they give don't connect with our stories. And I wanted to you know I, I just kn- I just knew I can't survive on fluff, and if that's all we get, you know it's we're in trouble. And so you know, they took a risk because you know they want to know how big is your tribe. And I say, well, there's my mother. Oh, it wasn't like I had a huge, you know, ministry or anything like that. But I, you know, I just said, I I think this is important and it's worth fighting for. So that's what I did. And um, so that was the first book. And then the next book was Lost Women of the Bible, which was, um, I just was learning so many new things. And um, Hebrew scholars have... Develop new uh, techniques for studying the Old Testament, and the the rhetorical method where you look at these narratives as literature, mm-hmm. and you look at whose whose perspective and who's telling the story, and you know tie it together, don't break it up by cha- chapter and verse. So I went back to the stories of women in the Bible and. Um, It was mind bending to write. And um, so that was the second one. And then I wrote the gospel of Ruth. And that was a game changer for me because um, I don't know if you know, Bruce Walkie. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, he, he's a good friend and, you know, he was teaching classes at RTS, which was where we were. And um, if I, I just love him and I I just said where wherever he's teaching I want to be in that room and so I took his classes on judges through poets and genesis and and it, it was it was life changing mm. and when he got to the book of Ruth I just rolled my eyes like I know this story like my own story and he took it Apart with the with the um, rhetorical method that this is Naomi's story, and we just kick her to the curb in the opening verses because we want to have this romance story.
2: Yeah.
0: and um, he said. You know, you're looking at everything through Naomi's eyes. It's Naomi's struggle with God. We see God through her eyes and her losses, and she believes she's lost his chesed. Mm. And he doesn't, you know, there's no prophet or priest or temple or tabernacle. It's all just in the mundane areas of life, in the workplace and in the city council, but it's not... You know, there's no prophetic message or vision. God speaks to Naomi through Ruth. And um, Ruth, let me see if I can get that off. Ruth, um, what he said in that class, which just really threw me. Am I still on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. I've lost my... What he said in in that um, class was that Ruth was leading the action. You know, that this is not a a romantic love story. This is a story about God and that it's a story that um, where this undocumented immigrant, this Moabite young woman is coming into the jewish culture she sworn allegiance to naomi she's not gonna she says you know and and this is a culture where you know women didn't have agency when Na- naomi said go home she meant it and she had authority over these two young w- widows of her now dead sons
2: mm-hmm.
0: and And Ruth exercises agency all through the story. She tells Naomi, stop it. (laughs) Don't tell me to go home. I'm not going to leave you ever. You know, I will, I'll be in the grave with you. And when she put her arms around Naomi, that was God's hesed Hmm. in, in, in a physical manifestation where she is uh, committing herself to Naomi and she, everything she does after that is on Naomi's behalf, you know, she, and she's, as a newcomer to the faith, she's reinterpreting mosaic law with the man who's been raised on it. And he's living by the letter of the law and he's an amazing man, but she looks at the spirit of the law. Mm-hmm. You know, the letter of the law says, let them glean, you know, leave the scraps and the edges in the corner, but the spirit of the law says, feed them. Mm-hmm. And, You know, she takes home 29 pounds of winnowed barley. And that's when Naomi's hope in God revives over something so simple and ordinary as a load of grain. And it just goes, anyway, it blew me away because the word initiative was not to be in my vocabulary. As a woman, I was to be responding and submitting and, you know, following and... All of a sudden, here's this young woman who is, she's God's point person. She and Naomi, God is using them to advance his purposes for the world.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: it's not, you know, it it blows up, you know, where is God doing the important things in the world? Because he's subversive. And he doesn't just use big shots All right.
1: <laughs>
2: you
0: know so anyway for me it was over i didn't you know i have no interest in debating about what women could or should do and um and i've always said you know when i stand before jesus i'd rather be explaining why i did too much than why i did too little mm. and none of these guys who are telling women to hold back and to be quiet <laughs> Are going to be there to explain why, you know, they told us to stop it, you know. So it's, yeah, it it's just blown the doors down for me, and, um, yeah. So I I've banked my message on Genesis one and two that this is God's vision for the world He loves, and He's never given up on it, and it's a message to women and it's a message to men. And um, so so that was, you know, where I was headed. And then I wrote Half the Church, which just sort of was to pull together thing, all of the, what I'd been learning and the, mm. some of the narratives. But what happened to me when I wrote that book was that um, Nicholas Kristof and Cheryl Wudan came out with Half the Sky I don't know if you've heard of that book or read it but it's it's their research of what's happening to women and girls globally mm. and it was eye-opening for me because i you know i said the bible's message for women and girls is for all of us it's not just for american women right. who live in, in a culture where we have lots of freedom and rights and especially if we're, if we're white, um, that, that the Bible's messages for those girls in other cultures who are being banned from education or who are being married off as little girls or who are being sold into trafficking, you know, and it just, it opened my eyes that we're, we don't stress test our theology enough. Hmm we don't take it into the war zones Mm -hmm. you know we even what's happening in ukraine now you know i think okay so how did these rules apply in ukraine you know the women are joining in the battle and doing whatever they can to help their country and to support the soldiers and you know, and, and nobody's saying, should a woman do that? You know, is it all right for her to speak out and protest? <laughs> you know, it's, they understand the battle they're in. And I'm not sure we understand the battle we're in. Hmm. That we can, that we can spare anybody. So, so that's where this has taken me. And, and then um as i read and studied the stories of these women and they were so life-changing for me but i noticed in those stories that there were men that we don't talk so much about you know judah in genesis pastors will skip his story and judah is horrible (laughs) Yeah, You know, he's a criminal. He's a criminal. And, and he's ready to execute his daughter-in-law for a crime he's committed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and the word prostitution, just nobody wants to talk about that story. She's not a prostitute. She's fighting for the family. <laughs> She's rescuing his family. And God blesses her actions by giving her twin boys that replace her two dead husbands. And the the translators translate Judah's story that when he realizes that she's pregnant by him because she has his his passport and his driver's license. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he's, but they translate it, she's more righteous than I am which is an arrogant thing for him to say that he's righteous. (laughs) And what he says is she is righteous. I am not. And the Hebrew translators and these scholars are, are correcting that, but it's a big correction, you know, because he's not What happens is Judah looks at himself in the mirror when she confronts him. Mm-hmm. And the change that comes over him is breathtaking. Mm. When he stands before Joseph and he doesn't know it's Joseph and Joseph wants Benjamin and Benjamin is his, their father's new favorite. And Judas steps up. To sacrifice his own life for his father's new favorite. Mm. Mm. And it's a, the, passage is so powerful it's hard for me to read it without weeping but this is a man who has looked in the mirror and seen himself and god has invaded his story through the bold actions of his daughter in law who isn't giving up on her responsibility to rescue his family you know it's the stories are so much more powerful And one of the things that makes them more powerful is something that I discovered, um, when I, when I wrote Maelstrom, um, and that is that patriarchy is the problem. (laughs) And, um, anyway, I'm just, I can talk forever on this and I need need to know why you want to talk to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, yeah, th- I appreciate all the background there as far as leading you up to this book. And this is your latest book, yeah?
0: Yes. there. I mean, there were t- two, two later ones. I wrote another one on the Book of Ruth because uh-huh. of the immigration and refugee crisis. The book's about God's work through refugees and mm-hmm. immigrants, mm-hmm. you know, and there's and there's – there's a chapter in there that I talk about the manly side of the story because everybody thinks that the men get forgotten in, in the first five verses, but they're in every chapter and the battle being fought is for them. Right. You know, so it's, God doesn't do that where he sides with one, you know, gender or the other, Mm -hmm. but maelstrom I wrote because I wanted I love the stories of the men that we overlook because, you know, they're not big dudes in the Bible. They're, their lives take on a different flavor, mm-hmm. but, but oh boy, their stories are just, I love the men I wrote about in Maelstrom.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, will when, a lot of the stories that you write about in Maelstrom, one of the things that is interesting to me is that you talk about how the patriarchy is not only damaging to women and children but to most men as well um, and so many men are victims of the patriarchy as well as, I guess some benefits of the patriarchy but um, even those benefits are, are damaging, but like serious damage um, And a, and a lot of the men that you write about in maelstrom from the bible uh you talk about that and i i so appreciate that um so much of what i've read in the past is and and heard is that patriarchy benefits men and it it is a detriment to women and the, it, they just leave it off at that but uh you don't you disagree with that and i do too can you yeah
0: yeah and you know when i what i concluded in writing maelstrom
2: mm-hmm.
0: is that the patriarchy is not the message. It's the backdrop to the message. Mm. And you will not understand the biblical narratives if you don't understand that ancient culture and how it mm-hmm. defines men and how it defines women. And in our culture, you know, that has been embraced at some level by the church universal you know it yeah. just has been and um
2: you mean that we've but, we've we've sort of accepted that the way that men rule over everyone around them that we see in the bible is the way it's supposed to be is that what you're that's right yeah. that's
0: right yeah. and that yeah. you know if you're a woman and you're a, you've got leadership of gifts that you just better stuff those because you're not a man. And what I what I learned as I researched and I, you know, I have a degree in biblical studies, but also one in sociology. And I did research about what's happening to men and boys in the world. And um oh my goodness, it's it isn't funny. You know, I mean just look at look at what's happening in the the, the war in Ukraine where thousands of young men's lives are being destroyed yeah either they're being killed or they're being physically harmed or mentally damaged by the horrors that they are forced to go experience Mm -hmm. and um why is that okay you know why is that okay i mean i So it's, you know, and and what you have in patriarchy are power pyramids. You have big ones and you have little ones and there's a little room at the top and you have to have a big populated base for it to work. Mm. So you have slavery or you have women or you have multiple wives or, you know, and the place at the top is insecure. Mm. So it has to be maintained and it has to be maintained by keeping others down. And we see it all the time. You know, you can be president of the United States one minute and be thrown out the next. And, you know, it's, it means that men are defined by where they land in that pyramid Mm. and I had one man tell me that he said men are being marginalized in the church if you don't have a seminary degree or a big you know impressive portfolio then you know you can set up the chairs but we really don't need you you know at a spiritual level And um, men have told me that they hate Father's Day because they're just berated for not stepping up and, you know, taking charge. And, um, you know, for somebody to reach the top, there have to be others at the bottom. And there are men at the bottom. And, you know... God works through those men, you know, like he did through Ruth. And some of the people he chooses in the Bible are very unlikely choices. But, you know, God doesn't work by patriarchy's rules. Yeah. And you can't even read the book of Genesis and, and without seeing patriarchy undone. Because patriarchy, the linchpin of patriarchy is primogeniture, Mm -hmm. which is the rights of the firstborn son. And it creates all out war among the the men in the book Mm -hmm. of Genesis because God doesn't play by those rules. You know, he he chooses Abel and not Cain and he chooses Isaac and not. Ishmael and Jacob and not Esau and he chooses well Judah is his choice number 4 but Jacob chooses number 11 and then number 12 yeah you know and they're ready to kill over it they're all ready to kill over it and um you know it's 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 undone it's undone by that time and Um, all through the Bible, God raises up women to advance his purposes and, and they aren't all Esther, but Esther was a human trafficked person. (laughs) You know, she's not a beauty contest queen, you know, she's, she's being abused. And, um, so it's. And we need to read the Bible with new eyes, yeah. and say, "This is not, this is not promoting patriarchy." But if you understand patriarchy, and it's it's full fledged in cultures today, and in in areas of our own country, if you understand that, the stories, the power of the gospel in the Bible gets unleashed and um you know you you see god's hand in merciful subversive unlikely redemptive ways it's just it's it's extraordinary and you know everybody matters to him mm
1: mm-hmm you mind if I ask you some questions that might help clarify some things for our listeners? Um, you named the book Maelstrom, and that is a uh, a storm at sea, correct? Yes. Would you, would you tell uh, us why you named the book that? I, mean, I think you're, you're hitting on it, but...
0: Yeah. Well, and I use it as a metaphor for patriarchy because I think patriarchy is pulling men down. Mm-hmm and they're missing who god created them to be because you know they have to maintain their spot and they get they get yelled at in church you know Uh that you need to step up and be the man and if you're if you're not able to um take down an intruder in your home even if your wife is a black belt in karate that you're not a man you're not they're, they're telling people they're not a man
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: well there's a whole there's a whole spectrum of what is a man <laughs> you know right. it's not one size fits all and um, yeah it's or, or
1: just one just one purpose or yeah so yeah.
0: I I you know I talk about patriarchy as a maelstrom the this current that is pulling men down Mm -hmm. and, and holding them captive to a view of masculinity that is actually a fallen view that you have to, you have to be the one in charge that you have to be the boss that everyone has to follow you. That, you know, is. It's about power. Mm -hmm. It's not about grace. It's not about mercy. It's not about the love of God. Um, And I have to say, in my ministry, I have met a lot of Christian men who embrace God's call on their lives, and they are breathtaking. Mm in the kind of men they are you know they're you don't you don't feel squashed you don't feel like you need to be in your proper place when you're around them they're like true brothers in christ and i'm encouraged by that i don't i am not i'm not giving up i think god is at work in his sons and they get it that it's that there's an emptiness to all of this and the fact is and i've written this in maelstrom is that whatever you achieve if you live long enough you will lose you know you may be the big dude (laughs) in the 21st century but you can lose your health, you can lose your marriage, you can lose your job, you can lose your finances, you know, it's all at risk. But you mm-hmm. can't lose God's call on you as a man.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's a call to be like Jesus. It's not a call to be like I don't want to say any names. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: yeah.
0: not, you know, we're not right. looking for the for the latest bully we're not
1: right. Um, you know, I was thinking about this even this morning about companies, people who are uh, mega rich, they're at the top of the pyramid and the, uh, they've gotten that way because there's this wide base of workers who is, who is, uh, they're taking a large portion of their productivity into their pocket and that's how they get hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, that's an obscene amount of money while everyone else at the bottom of the, of the pyramid is grinding, you know, and so it seems like it's it's infiltrated all areas of our society. William and I have both been uh mistreated by men in power um I've heard uh phrases that were uh repeated like the peace and purity of the local church, which were just used to um to promote their power and maintain their power and um an inability for them to see their own sin in uh you know complex matters um and so, uh, we get the, the patriarchy problem. I was wondering if you could help, um, our listeners understand where, where would authority structures, how would they prop properly be used or, you know, I'm, I'm leading a church. I'm the pastor of a church and I'm very laissez faire and hands off and I want everyone doing their thing. And I, I give people, uh, lots of, of quote, power in small groups in various ministries and committees and things like that. And yet there is a time, there's a time when I have to, there's a responsibility, a big responsibility that I have to fulfill. Maybe you could you could help uh, tweak that for me.
0: You know, I think it's important to help people see their lives in a different light because um, we don't all have to be, we don't all have to have a job inside the church. <laughs> And one of the marvels, and I and I learned this from a non-Christian, but he said Christianity is really amazing because he says everybody fans out. Everybody is in the culture in all different places during the week. And, you know, I think to have a vision of of our of our stories as individuals and as as a corporate body that we don't know where God is doing the big things in his world that it might be somebody in your church that nobody would suspect and you know when you look at your own story and you think who who are the people who have ministered to me who have helped me get through a hard spot or who just have helped me grow? Who are the people I've never thanked? That have no idea that they've that God used them to turn me in a different direction. You know, how many people haven't we thanked? And, you know, when you look at your congregation, you don't know where God's gonna do something that nobody will see, but he'll see that will advance his purposes. And I think everybody needs to have a vision for the fact that they are indispensable to God's purposes in the 21st century Mm -hmm. and that it doesn't matter if they have a degree or they have an impressive job or if they're, you know, struggling financially that the smallest act of kindness can ripple from one person to the next, to the next, to the next. Mm -hmm. And you know, we don't know what God is doing. And I, you know, I, I, I talk about that a lot, you know, because everybody's sort of wanting a job with a title and a paycheck. And I think Jesus is more subversive than that. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean, as somebody who's a leader, you know, to see your congregation through... Different eyes that are, you know, when you look at God's vision for the world in Genesis 1 and 2, a lot of it has to do with the actual work we do, you know, cultivating the earth's resources, stewarding mm-hmm. and developing, and all the things that people do when they go to their jobs. It's the job, too, that makes that matters in God's eyes. It's not just that you don't steal pencils <laughs> from your from your office or that you are are truth you you know, you don't you don't deceive and lie. It's that you're an that you're an excellent worker, that you do good work, and that your your company's better off because of the work you do. You know, so it's everything matters. It's it's not just witnessing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's everything. Right. You know, I mean look what look at Ruth's story. What she what she did was go on the welfare system, you know, and glean, but she asked for for rights to glean in, in where she'd have more to take home to her mother-in-law. And you know, so she wasn't but she was talking about God's purposes, God's law with Boaz and he was listening. It was, it's amazing. So I just, yeah, yeah, I think the church, the mission is Monday, Uh (laughs) you know, send them out with the sense of your life matters. You're, you're a point person for God's purposes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just by being kind to somebody, you may breathe, life into them that somebody else will come along and take it the next step um you know we can't spare anybody
1: so uh let me let me just ask are you are you suggesting that there's a better way to work from top of the pyramid or or should there not be a pyramid you know i guess that's what i'm was more of my question you know jesus had his 12 disciples and he had his 72 and you could you could argue that it was some sort of pyramid, or that you know I'm at the top of a pyramid. That I have my elders, and then I have like my staff, or the you know the people who are doing a lot of you know the twenty percent who are doing the work, kind of thing. And and I, everything you say, I, I think I tried to incorporate. But I'm just uh, the structure is still there, you know, and that means that that someone can misuse it. I could misuse it, or I could not, right? But it seems like it's still there, and that's that was more my question. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well and I you know I think it it's it's going to be with us in mm-hmm. this fallen world and um and I and I just think it's not about taking power away from anybody it's about using your power mm-hmm. to empower others mm-hmm. and because you're in a you're in a place of Privilege and responsibility um, and things that you say to people like the encouragement of the work that they're doing or, um, you know, just
1: yeah,
0: appreciating what they're doing and also fueling them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it, your job comes with enormous responsibility and opportunity, but it's not, you know. What happened in the book of Ruth didn't diminish Boaz's power, if anything, it increased it. Mm -hmm. But he used his power, he used it for others. And, you know, I think in some ways you can't, you almost can't help that when you're a pastor, you know, because people come to you with their problems and,
1: you know, but,
0: but, but everybody needs encouragement and everybody Mm -hmm. needs, just somebody to say, you know, you've really got a gift for blah, 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 whatever.
1: <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah, it's so. interesting, when I was younger, I remember seeing guys who, um, who were more what we would label toxic now in terms of their leadership. And uh, as I've gotten older, especially post-COVID, there are fewer and fewer guys who want anything to do with the pastorate. Um, that that it's been a huge change. That, that the churches are shrinking. It's uh, pastors are disappearing. The guys who are in want to get out. There's hardly anyone who wants to get in. Um, and I've noticed that I've got friends who have who have done really well in ministry, uh, meaning that they they still have lots of energy and they 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 do lots of work in ministry. But I've also noticed that a lot of them tend to be a little bit more narcissistic. And there's a there's a benefit to self. I'm the guy up front. I'm the one with the answers. I'm um, and when, when you get disillusioned with all that, which, you know, I would think most people do somewhere in their forties at least. And for me, it was in my thirties, you know, I was just like, I, I don't, what am I doing? You know, and at this point it's, I'm just trying to be faithful, you know, and, and all that, and all that's kind of, I don't know, it, it's almost become a, a moot point for me. Like I, I want to empower other people and I don't even, I don't even want this position, you know, you in know, in a way. Um, and a lot of people are in that boat. Um, and so there, there is this kind of shift taking place. And yet when I look at the new heavens, and the new earth, I know we have, we have a, um, we have a kingdom, we have a King. Um, and I don't know what that, you know, when, when it says that he, uh, Jesus is the King, does he, does he stop being the King when he turns the kingdom over to his father? You know, I don't know exactly what that means. Um, will there still be some sort of structure Um, you know, there is, there is certainly degrees of reward. We see that in the scripture. I don't know what, obviously there won't be any power play or, or the abuse of power or any of that because sin will be gone. But I'm just wondering if it's, um, I'm still just trying to tease out my thinking on is the structure itself broken or is it because it's full of sinners that, you know, is it the structure or is it the people? And and I, I keep leaning towards it's, it's because sinners get in places of power and they abuse that power. But I, I'm not sure I'm ready to throw out um, pyramid structures. Um, if you have someone who started a, a company and they run that company and they do a great job and they pay their employees well and everybody wants to work for that company and they they build a sense of loyalty because they get more money and they, they're better loved and supported by it, it seems like it's just a better way to run a company and a better way to, to foster a, a mutuality and a respect and a community. And and it seems like your business would flourish more that way. Um in the long run, but yeah, but it, we have so many examples to the contrary, right? <laughs> I mean.
0: Well, and I, I agree with you. I think that the church is in a terrible state. And, you know, for me, it was, I, I, I can see it with all these church rock stars, you know, uh-huh. where they're just, they're bigger than life. And, um,
1: and loving it, right? Just soaking it up. Yeah. Whether they know yeah. it or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: But I mean, they're hurting people at the same time. But yeah. but the but the church to crisis and how easy it is to move past is, you know, I I think we have to keep working on our theology mm-hmm. because you know, we act like we've got it down. And I don't think we do. I think we've barely scratched the surface. And I think we've got a lot of American notions in mm-hmm. our theology and notions that are, um, that we can, it, that we can, uh, that we have the luxury of embracing because there's more prosperity here, mm-hmm. um, so I, you know, I think some of the biggest problems we're facing, this is what I, my current work is about, is that they're theologically driven, that there are things about our theology that set us up for abuse, hmm. and um, that that there's there's more to be learned that. Um, Jesus has been eclipsed, um, by the, this, the heroes that we have, the stars, the celebrities, and even by, um, conservative politics. And Jesus is, is more radical than all of that. And, um, what, you know one of the uh, the way the New Testament talks about marriage, for example you're, it's it's a it's an intensely patriarchal culture where a man might have more than one wife that his wife doesn't have any agency she um he may have married her when she was. Thirteen, <laughs> yeah. and you know you're looking at a whole different demographic mm-hmm. in, in when you're looking at the, the the world of the Bible.
2: Sure.
0: And so, just to take all of that and bring it here and plant it, instead of saying we have we have new questions and new circumstances and new stewardship issues. That we need to be addressing, and we and we barely scratched the surface of what Jesus came to teach us, and and what we should learn from Him about being God's image bearers. Yeah, because he, he's the perfect one, and mm-hmm. you know everybody kind of just treats image bearer like a synonym for human, but it's a it's a mission to reflect our creator and to know him. And it's not just that we're a higher life form.
2: <laughs> right. Right. It's something to live into.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that nobody's nobody but Jesus has really, I mean, we need him to show us the way God means for us to live. And and you know, when you get into discussions of masculinity, or femininity, you know, we we don't end up talking about Jesus a lot.
2: Hmm. Hmm. We
0: talk about the rules and the reg and this and the structures and the. Hmm. But we well, we don't talk about Jesus. We don't talk about the sacrificial love that He had. We don't talk about His people. People don't think Jesus cared about justice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh. Well, you know that. He, look at his story. Study the Gospels. We have it. We have his story four times. That ought to tell us something important <laughs> is is being written there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you said that you are working on uh, your your current work uh, relates to how our theology sets us up uh, to be abusive. I'm curious to hear more about that. Hey, we kept talking to Carolyn for quite some time. So for our Patreon supporters, you've already got another 26 minutes of Carolyn ready to go for you right now. If you're not a Patreon supporter, click the link in the show notes, or you can go to thehopperpodcast.org and sign up. It's actually super easy. And let me give you a few snippets to whet your appetite, and then we'll sign off.
0: Teach that. When you teach girls to to be to be sweet and quiet, to um, not not raise their voices, <laughs> you know. There's a stunting that goes on. A word that she is mostly for God, as the helper of His people. It's it's how we, women and girls are called to reflect our Creator, and it's not a it's not a limp wristed you know, do the dishes kind of help. It's, it's real help. And I, th- I think Christianity is far more radical than anything we imagine. I think we've domesticated it. We've made it part of the capitalistic system in America. I always tell him he's not the man of my dreams. I could never have dreamed him up. <laughs> but he is, I mean, when we were first married he um he said to me and i i got swamped with cookbooks everybody knew i needed help um and he said to me you know i enjoy these meals and all that but he said you need to find out what your gifts are and what god wants you to do with your life and i'm not the answer to that question
1: listening to the hopper podcast let's keep the conversation going about things that matter and things that don't you can write or call us just tap or swipe on the purple hopper podcast cover art in your podcasting app and find the show notes for ways to suggest a topic for The Hopper or tell us a funny story. Or you can just go to thehopperpodcast.org. Try to keep it clean, and if you do, we'll probably feature you in an upcoming episode.
2: Special thanks this week's goes to my neighbor's
1: rooster who wakes me up every morning. Yeah, that's fun. And be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and join our Facebook group for more Hopper goodness. Join our Patreon for our bonus episodes.
2: Dave, what's the lesson we should take away from this week's episode?
1: Uh, Probably that Willie's Hemorrhoid Transplant wasn't that unusual after all no it's
2: pretty common it's pretty common yeah 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 i keep telling you that yeah